we begin again. Welcome listeners to the next installment of Back at the Start. This is a discussion between fans of the tabletop live play series, Colock 1991, which broadcasts on Mondays on twitch.tv slash hyperrpg. I am Gaia I will be one of the hosts at the wheel today, guiding you through as we recap Season 2, Episode 7 of Colock 1991, titled Pictures of You, followed by a conversation highlighting the moments that stuck out to us, what we think these moments may be leading to, and how this episode's rumors may influence the future of the show. As listeners, you matter. You can interact with this podcast through our Twitter account at ColocPod or by emailing us your thoughts to backatthestartpod at gmail.com. Now, before we begin, can my other hosts please introduce themselves? Hi, I'm Techie. And I'm Eridanessi. You found yourself back at the start. Uh, welcome. Uh, Erdens, do you want to uh, do the summary of the episode, please? I will give it a shot. There's a lot in this episode, so I'll try and get through it as best I can. So we started this episode with a, a rather interesting prologue where we met the Pox Cure, who apparently grew up in another time and universe that uh, found their way into our world through a Harmonia fragment and where we have the first mention of the Ministry of Displacement. Apparently their job is to search for objects and people that are displaced from their world, which will become important during the show. We join as they are at Mallory's. They're trying to comfort Tibby, who has locked himself away after being dumped by Mickey B. And we have kind of Billy and Laura bonding about their chances of them being clones. We also have Em and Mallory uh, having a bit of a, a time to connect as well, talking about the whole fact of Mallory kissing her father. Uh, this is when they hear about the new mayor announced and that uh, people return to flesh. And also Mallory and Em have a discussion about uh, her parents and whether this normalcy has something to do with it. It then leads to Mallory getting a call from M's mother saying that she knew about the kiss and was trying to apologize, I guess. After this, we go to Mickey B, who awakens outside to darkness. If you have forgotten, in the previous episode, we had seen her seemingly sink in this water, in this place that she had been holding, and she starts to remember some of the things that Mickey A did and she kind of wakes up and seeing the braces on her legs and given everything that Mickey A had been doing she kind of starts smashing them to try and guess in some way break the the hold that uh, Mickey A has on her which she kind of symbolizes as these braces she then meets uh, Pox Cure who we met in the prologue who apparently had found her passed out and brought her into the woods that's where she meets apparently dead raven on his shoulder named Cronovan, who apparently Pox keeps talking to. She finds out that he is in Koak trying to find what he refers to as an anomaly, which is something that sparks Mickey's memory as they've heard that term before from Cassandra. She mentions Cassandra to him and he admits that he 
knows her and that she also works for this ministry. Mickey then uses her power to search for Tibby. Using that, finds the direction back to town. Since having destroyed the legs, she's forced to rely on Pox. So Pox picks up Mickey and they start heading back into town. Back at Mallory's, M is still kind of reeling from the fact that her mother called Mallory and now apparently thinks that they were hooking up and wonders if Billy would be able to, to wipe this from everyone's mind. As this conversation goes, Mallory starts hearing his dad whisper to him and he eventually finds a secret compartment in his father's office with a box with a timer on it that begins to tick down. He's able to determine the code, which was sync, and inside he sees several folders and picks out one named the council. As he does this, the timer goes to zero and the box locks again. Mallory and M look through this folder and find blueprints to several buildings, including the law office, and they find that these connect to the underground tunnels in the mine that led to the Phobos heart that they tried to eliminate in season one. They bring this file down to the others just as Tibby comes out of the bathroom and they all see that he's now shaved his head. They discuss the map and try and figure out what's going on. And as soon as they start, they hear the doorbell ring, which is Pox carrying Mickey. However, since Tibby is still in a bit of a, a fragile state, he misunderstands this, thinking that Pox is another boyfriend that Mickey has picked up and starts threatening to fight him. And Mickey, obviously, kind of fed up with this, tells him to shut up so she can explain. Well, Billy and Mallory give Tibby some very unhelpful advice. We get a bit more of this back and forth between the boys before they finally get around to asking what Pox is here for. And he explains that he is searching for anomalies and that he works for the Ministry of Displacement, extracting dangerous anomalies. And he mentions to Cronovan that the Ministry of Displacement uses the zippers to reclaim them by burning them from existence. However, Billy seems to be the only one that can hear Cronovan, much to Cronovan's annoyance. And he shares this with Mickey and Tibby. They kind of worry that the anomaly that he may be looking for may be Mickey A, and they're afraid that if they reveal this, that they'll decide that the best way to get rid of that is to get rid of both Mickeys. I watched this episode a couple of times, and I have to say, I I still can't believe how much actually happened in that, you know, 2.5 in a little bit hours. It's dense. I'm trying to get through this, but there's a lot that happened. And so after a bit more discussion, uh, Pox tells them that he can use his own abilities to try and determine whether they are anomalies or if they're special. The first one he uses it on is Mallory, which he learns that Mallory is not special, but he is fairly sexually confused, which was a great line. From M, he learns that she is also not an anomaly, but there's a great loneliness inside of her. When he uses it on Billy, he, after hearing the comments from Cronovan, threatens Pox that if he tries to have him zipped, that he will wipe him from existence. And when 
Pox uses his abilities, he learns that Billy did come from a different universe, that he entirely met the threat against him and has no feelings of remorse for it, but that he's also not the anomaly. The only one that doesn't is Laura, who Pox seems to run out of energy when she tries to get her energy red, I guess, for lack of a better term. They eventually, Cronovan and Pox eventually ask them about the anomalies, but the other group keep interrupting Pox as he fails to get any real information out of it. And so Pox fails to get the group to to really answer any of his questions because at this point they're very suspicious and just gets the, the group to not trust him so much. So the group sidebars and discusses trying, essentially trying to use Pox to, to feel out where the anomaly is so they can get to it before him. However, Laura, feeling kind of left out of all these sidebars, has a sidebar with Pox and kind of tells her a bit more about uh, what's been going on with the grotto and the hearts and whatnot. And so she eventually joins this sidebar with the rest of the group and they come up with this plan to give him a list of places to keep him guessing while they try and go to the law office to figure out an entrance to these tunnels. I don't know why Mallory decided he was the best one to try and sell this to Pox, but he doesn't believe him at all. So Laura mentions the lake and he using his powers again in the guise of thinking her sees that she believes exactly what he says and then uses another power that we hadn't seen to not only find out a truth, but to instill a truth within her. And that being that he's the only person that can save and help them, which leads Laura to believe in him completely. Pox heads off to check out the lake and the group discuss how they can figure out a way to tell the different Mickeys apart. And they come up with the, what will become infamous, at least to the chat, if nothing else. Security question being, what's the weather? With the correct answer being 69 degrees, causing Billy and Tibby to chuckle each time. The group heads out to the law office and attempts to break in, but since it was already broken into in season one, the security has been much improved. Laura decides to forego subtlety and just kicks in the front door, setting off the alarm, and the group splits up. Mallory and M try and wipe the cameras while the others follow Billy to where it seemed that the blueprint showed a secret entrance. Mallory and M change their plan and go outside, Mallory having the deed to try and convince anyone that he's the rightful owner, so everything's all right. Unfortunately, this uh, doesn't quite work as well as Sheriff Bull pulls up and questions uh, Mallory's right to be there as it only has his father's name on it and has no sympathy for, for Mallory's pity. He tries to push his way past into the law office. However, M gets into his car and attempts to steal it. However, she reverses it into a pole and knocks out power in the, the rest of the, the street. She manages to hit the, the horn to draw, to alert the others and hopefully draw Bolt out. But when Bolt comes out, he starts shooting into the car and hits M in the shoulder. She uses her power to run out of sight, but uh, Bull is now kind of alert and grabs Mallory, who's still out in the open, and kind of holds him 
he sees a, a bit of a blood trail that M has left and starts calling for them to reveal themselves. Inside, seeing all this happening, Billy uses his power to make the building vanish so that anyone that's not the group of them can see it. Pox, having heard the gunshots, heads back to where he heard them, and he arrives to see Bull with his gun to Mallory's head, demanding to know where the building went, but Pox can see the building. He can just see that it's behind some kind of a field of energy. He seems to distract Bull and pulls out a badge, which Bull seems to recognize, and mentions an agreement between the town and the Ministry of Displacement. At this point, M uses her power once again to grab Mallory and get him inside the building while Bull is distracted. But while time is kind of stopped for her, she notices that Pox doesn't seem affected and still sees her doing it all, but just lets it happen. He takes his badge back, and as this happens, the sheriff makes a couple comments regarding Cassandra and his connection there to try and throw Pox off. Inside, uh, Tibby heals M while Mallory and Billy move the photocopier and Laura finds a passage down. As they descend into this tunnel, they find an old blind woman in a metal chair guarding the way. She calls out for Merle and Mallory pretends to be his father and answers. She asks if he requires passage. She grants it to them. Mallory, kind of trying to get a bit more information, asks him about the last time she saw Merle and what they talked about. She replies that they spoke about a boy, turns out is Mallory, and that something worked, and that she wouldn't be able to tell the difference between him and his father. She calls them, Merle and Mallory, the same thing, before seemingly nodding back to sleep. And this is where the episode ends, which is, as we said, a very, very jam-packed episode. Thanks for that mega, massive, wonderful recap. It was a very, very busy episode. I have to say, I think I've watched the prologue for this episode about four times now. And every time I get something new out of it, it was really fascinating. And there's still so much, even after that prologue, that we don't know about Pox. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's so much lore in that first segment. Um, especially given for anyone who has watched the preceding series, Ten Candles, um, the amount of information that it gives you and uh, seemingly hinting towards the fact that Pox may actually be from the original universe that was in the Ten Candles series rather than any of the universes that have been created in the multiverse since the point uh, that changed uh, things at the end of Ten Candles. Um, there's so much there in terms of like descriptions about uh, jumping from the pit, which is a location that we know from the Ten Candles series, being birthed from, from the world tree, which could be the tree that, that Shiloh and Art was part of in the pit. And so many different details that also about the characters of day and night, which I can't remember if they were introduced here or whether they'd be mentioned briefly beforehand and this was their second mention. I think they were mentioned before, but it was very, very abstract because I think it was mentioned in the, the dreams that I think it was Billy and Mickey had. But this is the first time I think we may have seen them as like as figures, as characters. Yeah, more fleshed out as, as being maybe more important to the lore than we would have previously known. 
Yeah, the thing I, the one thing I really did like about this prologue, I think it's probably one of my favorites, is that the fact that it gives us a glimpse of kind of what's going on in the world outside of Kolok, because this apparently we know that the British SIS apparently have this Harmonia fragment, which is how Pox came into our world. We learned for the first time about a something known as a, the Ministry of Displacement, which seems interesting. And so, yeah, there's a lot of of kind of lore things that give a bit more of a, a global scope to things as opposed to just the Kolok aspect. Yeah, it shows a lot uh, separate from you know our main characters who we usually follow and supernatural things that may be happening elsewhere and may be connected uh, to things in Kolok as well. I mean, certainly throughout the episode, we learn more information about the ministry and with um, Apox having been, not saying that it was his first time, that he'd clearly been on missions before where he had uh, dealt with other anomalous items, which from what we understand of anomalies up to this point, seems to indicate that anomalies are specifically from the Ten Candles universe rather than from something else, uh, rather than one of the other multiverse universes. Because when um, Pox uses his powers later in the episode on Billy, Zack turns around and says to him, uh, to him that while uh, he, he is from another universe, but he's not anomalous. So it, it does give the impression that anomalies are specifically stuff that came from the Ten Candles universe, whether that be, and we we know that there are very few things that we're aware of at the moment that are specifically from the Ten Candles universe. The main one that we're aware of is the tape which uh, was taken by Cassandra, um, but also, for example, the, the ship that crashed uh, originally. Um, from Ten Candles universe to uh, to crash uh, uh, at Kolok and cause everything, or rather Stone Valley when it was originally named that. Yeah, I really, I would love to know more about Pox and how he is connected to Cassandra, and yeah, why why specifically are they looking for things from the Ten Candles universe? Yeah, it's certainly interesting because Pox in this episode seems like a much more not entirely friendly, but much more kind of helpful, seems to be much more working to help in some ways. Whereas when we met Cassandra, she was much more almost adversarial, much more seemingly threatening and ominous. Whether that's just a difference in individual agents or whether one of them whether it tells us anything about the the motives of the ministry itself. Yeah, with Cassandra, it was hard to tell if her being antagonistic to them was just her sort of looking down on them. Um, It was her own attitude, or if it was something related to her job versus Fox's job, for example. I I think, to to be honest with Cassandra, at, at least at this point in the series, it seems like it's more just a case of her frustration with having to deal with these kids who are clearly lying to her constantly when if they had actually just been truthful in the first place, they she probably wouldn't have treated them nearly as, uh, as badly as she did. They are very good at, at annoying adults especially. Yes, they are, and especially Mallory and uh, Billy. Very good at that. I'd forgotten that this is the episode where we get uh, 
shaved headed Billy, uh, sorry, Tibby, um, and that whole emo-ness that kind of happens through the episode with him and him, his assumptions about uh, Mickey. That was one of the other things that I, I liked about this episode is it gave us a couple of different kind of kind of heart to heart moments where we get to see people that don't necessarily often have that kind of interaction, have a chance to kind of bond and and find some kind of mutual ground. We have both kind of Billy and Laura having this discussion about is is Billy a clone? What does that mean? And that gives them a kind of a chance to bond. Then we have M and Mallory having a bit more of a, a if not chance to to quite bond they have a chance to to kind of converse and perhaps bicker a little bit although i think that may just be largely how m interacts with a lot of people oh for sure and the other thing everybody loved and was laughing so much with that whole phone call with m's mom and mallory um it was really cool that m's mom was very sex positive but it was also a hilariously awkward conversation yeah we also get the somewhat kind of heartbreaking comments from M in regards her parents and this whole notion of, well, the reason they're being so supportive is this whole normalcy thing and how that kind of hits M pretty hard as her parents kind of before this, it seemed were really kind of the, kind of the, almost the, the, the kind of solid rock that she was using to kind of hold on to. Oh, for sure, because our main characters know that everything's not okay, but the fact it, it really messes them up that a lot of people around them feel that everything is normal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's obviously it's an ongoing thread that we we see picked up quite a few times, especially from this point onwards. And it's interesting to think about how many times it does come up in terms of what a reaction you would expect to see happening in regards to events that are taking place in Colog and then how people end up reacting to it simply because there is this kind of spell over the over the town to the point where people outside the t- town uh, can get so confused about events that happen but then as soon as they're in town they think neither here or there about. Yep. Uh, I found uh, another part of this episode interesting was the whole thing with uh, Mickey in the woods and her legs. And it really revealed a lot of the character's feelings, I felt, just that action of her smashing them. Yeah, especially given the the, the ending of, of the previous episode where we were kind of left wondering, well, is this the end of... Mickey B, are, are we going to see her again? Since up to this point, anybody supposedly sinking was generally not a good thing. So it was interesting to, to see her come back to herself. I think especially as well, because because obviously we've seen in the last few episodes where um, the Mickey personas, personas have been um, switching back and forth. And we've seen the that both Mickey's have to some degree been more comfortable with using uh, the uh, the mechanical legs, but in this p- uh, point in time, Mickey B sees it very clearly as something that is foreign to her, and and that she doesn't need to 
move forward because they weren't something that defined her in the first place. Because she lost her mobility before, having it back isn't necessarily a good thing because she doesn't know where they came from. She doesn't know whether it's, whether it's actually the device which is causing it to her self to change, her ego. So having the strength to actually smash it when she doesn't necessarily know what might have happened when she did, it's it does show how strong a, a character that she is in that she doesn't see that as something that she needs to uh, to move forward. Absolutely. And yeah, Mickey is definitely very strong. And I, I mean, you can see and understand her frustration because she has so many holes because she's switching back and forth between Mickey A and Mickey B. I, uh, I really loved uh, having Pox's Raven, and I'd like to know the background story to that at some point, but we don't know it yet. Yeah, it's certainly a, a different take we haven't seen before. We don't know whether this is something that it is real or is just some kind of a almost a manifestation of a part of, of Pox's mind. I mean, that gets a little more complicated when we find out that Billy, of all people, can also hear him. Yeah, I, I think it, in terms of the way that it was described throughout the episode, and certainly um, when when it came to uh, them tr- trying to figure out why Billy could hear it, it seemed to be along the lines of it was a level of his, either his subconscious or his internal monologue kind, uh, kind of thing, that it was effectively, it was a way of him being able to hear it in a more in in a more audible sense for himself. But because it was kind of latched onto an outside element, and because that was therefore unnatural and wasn't ex- exactly how the world should be, that allowed uh, Billy to be able to see through that and be able to hear that essence of uh, of himself. Whereas, obviously, for anyone else, it would just be an internal monologue. But because he had it, probably because of his powers, um, it was bound in some way to this object, which therefore meant that, for Billy specifically, that he could hear it. Yeah, I think it's probably tied into his ability to kind of see truth, which in some respects seems, or at least not see truth, but be able to see through disguise and illusion, whereas Pock seems to have some ability to tell a person's truth. Although I did like his his comment when Mickey asks where he's from and how he got there. He says, oh, yeah, I'm from Europe, and I walked. Yeah, that was great. One of my other favorite bits of this episode was the whole thing with um, Mallory and uh, the office and the lockbox. Um, And it's one of those mysteries that, it's probably not going to get sold and that I would love to know what else was in that box. Although I do feel that they took the file they were meant to, to take. Who knows what other, uh, what other things there may be in there. Yeah. It's one of those story threads we're not likely to, to get, but it does make me curious. And I thought that was also an interesting way to sort of move the story forward a little bit, but not, you know, not too much, not give them too much information, but to give, give them some threads they could follow. Yeah, definitely. The, f- the fact that there are, not one that they thought that they destroyed, but three hearts was quite the uh, 
quite the interesting thing to learn. Yeah, that was a bit of a bomb drop. And the thing I'd like to know, which I don't think we know, um, is are they actually, you know, did they start out as three separate hearts or are they one that's been broken into three? Well, I think um, given later episode knowledge, I think we we know a bit more about what they are. Um, I mean, spoilers for this much later in the series. So um, towards the newest episodes, but you can skip ahead about 20 seconds otherwise, but um, we, uh, we come to know the hearts of the engines of the ship. Right. Yes, that is true. Um, And I was trying to remember in 10 candles, if as far as we knew, there was only one heart in, in that universe, right? Uh, yes, in in Ten Candles, it was uh, it was specifically the the heart was uh, seemed to be the element that was in the center of the town that was something to do with the ritual that they were using to basically keep the the seasons forever in a perpetual lock to allow for the uh, the wine to be profitable and for the town itself to be to be relatively in quotes normal yeah it was uh also kept the weather really nice if i remember correctly one of the uh, other fun bits from this episode uh, i thought was um conovan in general was pretty hilarious and the fact that uh, billy could hear him i thought led to a bunch of actually cute little moments and then there was also the part where uh, tibby talks about how he writes fan fiction oh yes his x-men fan fiction i think wasn't it it was his fan fiction of um, the multiple Mickeys from other universes and himself. So not not necessarily so much fan fiction, but just um, stories that he uh, did, was very embarrassed to then tell. The other in- really interesting thing, I think that speaking of, of threads that we haven't touched on for, for a while, this is the first time I think in, in quite a while that we've had any reference or knowledge in regards to the zippers. Yeah, that's one of the things Pax talks about for sure. Or Pox, sorry, talks about. Well, he, he it was a it was a case of the the information was given to Pox, well, to um to Kraken uh, as Pox's uh, uh, player uh, from Zach about the process of uh, what happens when uh, when they claim uh, someone to uh, to be uh, that was anomalous to basically uh, get rid of them. Uh, Abria. Uh, uh, as Laura attempted to hear that the, uh, Zipping was mentioned, but uh, unfortunately, she was uh, Laura was in the sidebar at the time, so couldn't uh, uh, say anything about that. Billy that eventually heard it and relayed that because Billy then threatens Pox when he tries to read his energy. But it's it's interesting to. We don't get too much information. We don't know whether the zippers are connected to the ministry or whether the ministry just makes use of them and they're kind of their own separate entity. But it's interesting that we got a bit more of a, a reference to them because it's been quite a while. Yeah, it's, it seems from the way that, uh, that um, Zach uh, described it to Kraken that, that they effectively just use them as a tool, that they don't necessarily know the ministry itself doesn't necessarily know what exactly uh, the zippers are, just that there's some creature which they they work with in order to uh, extract these individuals. And I think this is the first episode where we find out that the, the town and the ministry 
have an agreement or a connection of some sort, right? Yeah, we find that out kind of later on when Pox goes back to talk to Bull. That apparently there is a that the town knows about the ministry and there is some level of deal or something that's been struck between the two of them. One of the things I think that made Chat quite nervous during this episode was the whole through the whole episode the fact that uh, M ended up using her powers three times, which isn't as much of an effect as it would have been, but because we've been through the previous stuff with her, I think it was kind of scary for everyone to see her do that. Yeah, especially since I think at this point it was right now is in the seconds, so it's still it's one of those things that builds very quickly. Again, with a lot of the the Kolok episodes, Zach has a seems to, to do a very good job of kind of balancing some of the more humorous elements, which we got a number of them in the the first parts, with the more kind of tense and and kind of dramatic stuff that we got in the later parts with, especially with kind of Bull and with, especially with Bull and Mallory, kind of what's going to happen. Because in in this system, guns are, are very dangerous because it's not hard for characters to either die or get seriously injured. So I think that was interesting in, in how Zach always seems to manage to to kind of balance out those two aspects in a lot of the different episodes. For sure. And yeah, and definitely in this uh, the system, any kind of fighting can be very dangerous very quickly. And it's probably not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly uh, as as the last half of the episode went on and uh, you had the elements of uh, M first trying to distract Sheriff Bull, but then she kept rolling not so great. And then it, because of that, trying to kind of haggle with Zach to a degree in, ter- in terms of when best to use her tokens, which ended up that she used, uh, used the right amount at the right time to at least stop her from being killed. But uh, it did mean that she got shot in the, in the arm, which thankfully wasn't so much of an issue at the time because uh, Tibby had his uh, powers and was able to help after the fact. Yeah, that was that made a big difference because, yeah, that was a bit scary and nerve-wracking for sure. The other thing about that section that I think was was interesting regarding Pox is we learn in this that apparently Pox is, in some respects, immune to a lot of the abilities used by the the players. He still sees the building, but you can see it's behind a field of energy. And when M uses hers, Pox seems unaffected and still able to see everything. Whether this is something specific to Pox or whether this is something that all the agents of of the ministry have, I thought that was interesting. Oh, for sure. And the, the, this episode, I think, if I remember correctly, the order of things is the start of some interesting underground stuff that happens over the course of a few episodes. But this is sort of the beginning of it at the end of this episode, I believe. Yeah, we got a little bit of it right at the end with. Um, with Mallory talking to the the old woman who apparently was working with his father and comments about uh, Merle and Mallory being the same thing, which, yes, as you said, leads into some very interesting things in the future episodes, especially for Mallory. 
Oh yeah, there's some very interesting, and I think that's uh, the first time he kind of realizes what and who he maybe actually is. Yeah, it's, it's certainly uh, it, as well as that. I mean, obviously, we don't know for sure because who knows the mechanics of these things. But earlier in the episode, when he started hearing his father's voice, obviously, it may be a case of uh, something because because of um, this link of him and his father being very uh, very uh, uh, cl- uh, close in some way or another um, that how exactly he had the ability to be able to send a message to his uh, uh, to Mallory or in some way transmit a message that only he could hear um, it's very interesting I don't think that point specifically gets really picked up too much more but also the fact that this had happened previously in the very first episode of this season. We'd see, uh, we saw a point where Mallory um, started seeing, started hallucinating, and seeing his, uh, his dead father speaking to him. So it's it's the second time that we've kind of come across this uh, point of where Merle has somehow managed to communicate with him long past his death. Yeah, I kind of see it as uh, maybe Merle is Kolak's version of a, a force ghost for Mallory. He sort of comes in and helps him out a few times when he needs it. Okay, that brings us to the rumors from this episode, which were all actually really interesting and could have led to some really neat story points, I feel, for all of them. Um, first one is that the gymnasium is haunted. The second one is God is speaking to us through the church, like for real, we hear his voice. The third one is there is a monster behind the sanitation department. And the fourth one, which is the one that actually won the vote, uh, who is this new park ranger? We keep hearing about him, but no one has met him yet. I think I voted for the monster behind the sanitation department, but I wasn't surprised that the park ranger won, given uh, given some of the information we had at the beginning of this season. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I can't remember specifically if, if I voted for this one. I, I may have been asleep given my hours, but uh, I'm I would have voted for for the park ranger simply because it was it, we uh, unless Zach was going to hoodwink us, we kind of all assumed that we were uh, going to be going al- uh, along the route of seeing Justin ag- again, or as we now knew uh, him as the traveller. And it was really it was really interesting in later episodes to see what came of um, having him pop up again. Certainly in the next couple of episodes uh, after the the, um, the underground trip. Yeah, I think I I don't think I voted for the park ranger. I can't remember. I might have, I might have voted for the the church one just because I was curious to see how they would have what they would have done with that. But yeah, Zach usually Zach says he usually knows which one would have won, and I would say that everyone probably expected the one the park ranger won to win. I mean, who doesn't want to see a, hom- a homicide or mur- a murderous um, a universe jumping shapeshifter? Well, of course, it's got to be interesting. I'm going to say the radar. The radar didn't want that. You have a point. Unfortunately for them, Chad is evil. Okay, everyone, I think that wraps us up. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into this episode of Cool Lock 1991. Once again, if you have anything you'd like us like to talk to us about on the show or any comments that you'd like us to read, please tweet us at Pod. I've been GaySCA, and uh, thanks to Techie and Aridistic. I've been Techie. I've been Aridinessi. We find ourselves back at the start. Thank you for listening to Back at the Start. 
a fan discussion podcast for the tabletop live play show Colock 1991 on Hyper RPG. Your hosts for today were Aradin SC, Gaia CA, and Techie Kera. This podcast was edited by Techie Kera and recorded on the 2nd of May 2020. Special thanks to Ray Wise for the introduction and outro soundbite, and to Zachlin Eubank for giving permission for us to use it. Colock 1991 is currently on hiatus due to the coronavirus pandemic, but previous episodes are available on Hyper RPG's Twitch and YouTube. It is also available in podcast form, just search for Colock 1991 on your favourite podcasting platform. You can follow us at Colock Pod on Twitter for updates and to interact with the show. You can also email us at backatthestartpod at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and... You found yourself... Back at the start.